talking the past few weeks about this whole aspect of destination life. And it's because of the choices that each and every one of us have made where we have wound up in life. And so often we don't like to take responsibilities for that. A lot of times we'd like to say, well, you know, I just woke up one day and here I am. But it really is because of the choices. And so we've been looking at the life of Jonah. So if you want to take your Bibles this morning, go to the Old Testament book of Jonah. We're going to continue with him today. And uh, we're going to look at, at the life of Jonah. We begin this whole process uh, as we found God showing up in Jonah's life and just saying to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go do something for me. And now I, I want to tell you, Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a man of God. And yet when God showed up and said, I want you to go do something for me, uh, Jonah said, don't think so. Now, I don't know if you've ever had one of those don't think so moments where it's when God has asked you to do something that you don't want to do, something that you don't really uh, feel like that is, is in your best interest. And Nineveh was a pretty rough place, and Jonah says, I don't want to go there. And we, we talked that first week about how that uh, God, the Bible says, after Jonah boarded the, the ship, that God sent a storm to get his attention. Uh, he finally fesses up and says, hey, I'm the reason this whole thing is happening. And the guy said, man, we hate to do this, but we're tossing you over. We're done. And, and Jonah thinks that, well, I, I've been thrown into the ocean. This is as bad as it's going to get. Let me help you this morning. Just because you think it's as bad as it can get, it can get worse. Because the Scripture says God had prepared a great fish for Jonah and the fish swallowed him and all of a sudden instead of being in in the ocean he's in the fish in the ocean and for three days he's experiencing what I refer to as a whale of an experience in his life and and as he goes through all of that we, we saw that that he begins in chapter 2 to cry out to God and and uh, we talked about how that uh, that God deals with us in those moments of where we have to make our vow all over again to the Lord to uh, do what he's called us to do and then the ending of chapter 2, the Bible says, and the fish vomited Jonah up on dry land. And, and then verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 3 is, is where we get into the whole process of Jonah walking into the city. He begins to prophesy to the city, God's getting ready to destroy you in 40 days and 40 nights. He's going to wipe you out. Scripture says that as he began to preach this sermon uh, that God's going to kill him, that, that from the greatest to the least, that they begin to fast and seek God, and that God relented. And he said, I'm not going to destroy them. And, and I, I think that the reason that they got saved was not because Jonah was such a good preacher. Because he really wasn't preaching salvation. He was just telling them God's going to destroy them. I think they got saved because they looked at Jonah. Now think about this for a minute. He's been in the belly of a fish for three days. You know, he's bleached out completely. You know, he glows in the dark. His clothes are half eaten off. His hair's probably gone from the acid in the stomach of the fish. And he shows up and starts saying, God's going to kill you. They look at him and say, man, this is one of his prophets, and if God will do that to one of his friends, what will he do to us that are his enemies? So they got saved. And so we, we end chapter 3 with this whole scenario uh, of their coming to the Lord and finding salvation. And if it stopped there, 
we would go, man, that's a great story. It's really wonderful. Uh, but there's actually one more chapter we want to look at today. So take your Bibles today and turn to the book of Jonah, the fourth chapter. As you're doing that, let me greet the campuses that are joining with us today. Uh, I'm believing today that as the Word of God goes forth, that it's going to touch your life, it's going to minister to you, and that you are going to be impacted by the Word of God, and that you're going to find something today that God's going to use to speak to you directly through His Word. The book of Jonah, let's read a couple of verses in chapter 4. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Wow. Let me ask this question. Have you ever been mad at God? Come on, how many of you? Now see, all the religious people didn't raise their hand. All the religious people said, well, I can't answer that in church. I, oh, I would never, Pastor, I would never be mad at God. Well, let me, let me just help you. I've been mad at God. Jonah is mad at God. Keep reading. Look in verse 2. He says, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now, isn't it interesting that Jonah is mad because God's saving people? I've seen some church people that way. I've seen God save, you know, somebody out of the gutter. Somebody who's addicted to everything under the sun. And I've seen religious people going, well, what are they doing coming to church here? Right? I, I, I don't know. I, I thought that the church was for the hurting. I thought Jesus said, I didn't come to those who were well. I came to those who needed a physician. Just a thought there. And, and Jonah's kind of like a lot of church people. He's, he's upset. He's mad at God. And so today I want, to talk, I want to talk on this subject if you're writing notes. Now, here's the sermon title today, All Shook Up. Jonah's all shook up. He, he's, he came. He did what God said. He, he, he walked in the premise of the Word of God. He preached to them that they're going to be destroyed. I mean, if, if you wanted to tell the truth at this point, you could just say Jonah's a false prophet. Because Jonah prophesied 40 days and 40 nights are going to be destroyed and 40 days and 40 nights will come and go and God doesn't destroy them. And so now Jonah's reputation's on the line and all the, all the aspects there of who he is. And yet the Word of God uh, begins to give us some insight into Jonah. J Jonah's just stressed out. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I found a lot of people are really stressed out. You, have you ever, let, let me ask this question, have you ever gone through a building program? You know, since I started pastoring, I've been through, I don't know, six, eight, seems like a thousand building programs. And then, and then my wife and I decided in the middle of a building program one time to build a house at the same time. That's, that's called S-T-U-P-I-D, stupid. All right. And, and you talk about being stressed. I was, so, I was stressed when I went home. I was stressed when I went to the church. I was stressed everywhere I went. And, and Jonah's kind of that way. Uh, you know, stress will, will eat you up. Uh, the AMA says that mental stress can affect the way the heart functions and actually damage the muscle of the heart. Now, that's, that's, that's pretty big stuff. 
And, and so Jonah is totally stressed out with God. He's totally stressed out with Nineveh. He is all shook up, and he is messed up, and he is mad, and he is saying, listen, I, I don't want this in my life. I don't want to live here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to experience this. Now, let me talk to us today. When you're stressed out, let me give you four things that you need to be careful about when you get stressed. Number one, look in verse 3 of the fourth chapter. Jonah says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Really? Number one thing you need to be careful about when you're under stress is be careful what you say. Jonah says, I just want to die. I just want to. Now, if he really had wanted to die, he could have just stayed in the fish. I mean, when the fish got ready and spit him up, he could have just jumped back in. Said, I want to die. He, he's he's kind of like the prophet uh, who Jezebel was kind of messing with, and, and she said, send, send the word of the prophet that this time tomorrow that I'm going to kill him. And the Bible says he fled into the desert, and, and while he's in the, in the desert, that he prays to God, and he says, God, just take my life and let me die. Now, he did not mean that because if he had meant that, he just stayed in town because Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. Now, now here, here's what the Word of God says. The Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart. Now, it's not talking about, uh, you know, the blood-pumping organ. It's talking about uh, the, the soul, the mind, the will, that, that whole aspect that we refer to uh, as, as our soul. It's talking about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. Ever been around people who are stressed and hear things coming out of their mouth that wouldn't normally come out of their mouth? Don't punch anybody. Don't stand up and start pointing across the church. You, you know, but why? Be, because when we get into that place of stress, when we get into that place where we are going through the, the, the struggle of the moment, something begins to happen to us. Now, the, the problem with that is this, is that the Scripture also says that you are snared by the words of your mouth. Remember the little nursery rhyme? I don't guess it was a nursery rhyme, just a little saying that we all said when we were kids uh, that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, right? Words will never hurt me. Now, how many of you know that's the biggest lie that ever came down the pike? I guarantee you every person listening today at some point in your life Somebody said something to you, whether positive or negative, that 20, 30, 40, even 50 and 60 years down the road, it still resonates down in your mind and in your heart. Some of you were told that you were stupid. Some of you were told you'd never learn. Some of you were said, uh, in, in maybe in a class setting from a teacher who was so stressed out uh, and whatever was going on in her life, uh, that you were a dummy, that you wouldn't make it, whatever the issue was. And, and you took that to heart, and, and you've struggled all these years uh, to, to really learn and to be a person who's overcoming. Maybe somebody in a church setting said to you, you'd never amount to anything in the kingdom of God. And so you're up and down, up and down, up and down. You live for God for a while and then you fail and you live for God and you fail simply because of what somebody has said to you 
Some of you are here today, and, and because of the things that were said to you in the middle of a marital discord or maybe in a, the middle of a divorce, that you have carried that with you for years and years and years. And, and what happens is, is that after you hear it, it gets down inside of you, and then you begin to repeat it, and you begin to relive it, and it begins to be a part of who you are. The, the Scripture says that you are snared by the words of your mouth. Be very, very careful what comes out of your mouth. Because even in stress-filled moments, Jonah, you really don't want to die. You may feel like the world is crumbling in, but I promise you, weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Look in the fifth verse. It says, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Jonah says, I'm out of here. Don't want to stay here any longer. The second thing you've got to be careful of, not only do you need to be careful about what you say, but you need to be careful where you go. God did not tell Jonah to leave Nineveh. Let me just say it this way. You must stay in the plan of God. Don't change location until God speaks again. Uh-oh. Let, let me explain something to you. We, we've heard it for years that where God guides, God provides, right? The reason sometimes that we move out of provision is because we get out of the plan of God. God said, Nineveh, we're mad, we're angry, and we say, I don't care what God said, I'm leaving. Well, let's preach a bit. Let's talk about it a minute. People do it all the time in churches. God plants you in a house. God puts you in a place. God brings you to a place where restoration and healing and health and wholeness can come back into your life. But maybe you don't like the temperature. Or you don't like the music. You might even like the preacher. But you know what? God is not asking you what you like. God did not ask Jonah, hey, Jonah, do you like Nineveh? Come on, darling. I just want to help you. No, no, no. L listen, I, I found out years ago, we used to preach, and, and I preached it, I think. We used to talk about that God was a gentleman, and he would never violate your will. And that sounds really nice. God is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. It will never violate your will. And then I got to looking at my life. I think from the day that I got saved, he's been violating my will. The Apostle Paul said, those things that I would not do, those are things I find myself doing. There's, there's this war that's in me. There, there's something going on. Why? Because God's calling me to do something that I don't want to do. I don't want to turn the other cheek. I don't want to do good to those who despitefully use me. I want to lie every once in a while. You know, all that stuff that God's Word says, no, this is what you do. And so, so we, we've got this whole aspect, well, God, God never violates. Yeah, He did. He did Jonah's will. I mean, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go in the fish. Jonah didn't want to go in the sea. And God violated His will from day one. But I've got to stay in God's plan. Because if I stay in God's plan, then God's provision is going to be there. And what happens to us is, is that when you leave the plan of God, you put yourself in a temptation. 
See, when you leave the covering of the house that God has placed you under, you put yourself in temptation. Remember the story of David. Here's what the Scripture says. It says, when it was time for kings to go to war, David stayed at home. David, go to war. I'm too big. I'm I'm the great king. I've gone to battle. No, it's time to go to battle, David. No, I'm going to stay at home. And he stays at home, and guess what? He goes up on the roof, and there is the woman. Right? Bathsheba taking a bath. Now, I've always struggled with that whole aspect, and I'm not going there. I want to know why he could see down where she was, and I want to know what she was doing where he could see her. Y'all are way too religious for me. I mean, I got all this stuff in my mind going, what's going on there? But anyway, you know the story. Commits adultery, gets her pregnant, calls her husband back, tries to cover up his sin. Her husband's a more godly man than he is. Sends him back into battle, has him killed. Finally, the prophet of God shows up and says, you're the man. And David starts crying out to God, but the baby still dies. Why? Because David got out of the plan of God. David did not do what God told him to do. God said, go to battle. David said, I'll stay at home. Samson, what, what, a, what, what an interesting character. The, the, the story of Samson is, is one of my favorites in the book of Judges in, in the Old Testament. When you read about Samson, what a great man he was. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's the guy who, who can take the jawbone of a donkey and kill a thousand Philistine soldiers in one day. I, I mean, he's the guy who, who takes foxtails and weaves them together somehow and puts firebrands between them and lets them loose while they burn down all the crops of the Philistine. But he's also the goofball who anytime a woman walks by, he forgets his call in life. Uh, it didn't, I, don't, I, mean, I don't read the Scripture. It didn't matter what woman anyway. It just, whoever. Now, we always talk about Delilah, but he had Delilahs before there was a Delilah. And he's always putting himself in places God didn't send him. He's always going down the land of the Philistines. God's not calling the land of Philistines. He's called him to the Israelites, but he's always down there. And he's always getting tempted, and the temptation winds up, and he gets blinded. And he spends the rest of his life until his death walking around like an animal. Could it be? I'll move on. Could it be that when we put ourselves in the wrong place, that the bondages that come into our life that keeps us going around and around like Samson did, that we bring them on ourselves and they bring even blindness into our lives? Why? Because we're not careful where we go. Look in the sixth verse, would you? Look in verse number six. It says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might shade, uh, might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Jonah was probably bald-headed. No, really. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. God grows a, tr- grows a, a leafy vine, and then God gets a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Again, bald-headed. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. Now, here's the picture. Jonah goes out, away from God. His plant comes up. It covers him. 
it shields him, and he starts trusting in the plant, not realizing it is the God of gods who created the plant. See, the third thing you need to be careful about in, in these seasons is you need to be careful in what you trust. Jonah starts trusting in the plant. Well, this vine is going to take care of me instead of realizing that he needs to be trusting in the God who created the plant. Let me help us today. Everything in this world is transient. Pastor, I've been working at the same place for 32 years. It was there then and it'll be there tomorrow. Really? You can walk in tomorrow and they can tell you that before business is over that they'll be closing down and you won't have a job. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm just glad. Pastor, I got a lot of money socked away. Heard of a thing called inflation? Well, I'm, you know, I got a house. My, I, it's paid for. It's my house. The Bible says God sent a vehement east wind. You, you do know we live in Tornado Alley. I, I don't care what you make your house out of if, you know, the right one comes along. And so... If we're not careful, we begin to trust in all those things. And yet the Word of God says it this way. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, and He will guide you in all your ways. I, I'm, I'm not trusting in the transient. I, I don't care if there's a plant over my head today and it's gone tomorrow. Listen, I know the grower of the plant. So you, you need to come to that place, and i got to hurry, but you need to come to that place where you learn to live under favor and not in blessing all the time. Blessing is found in a lot of people's lives. Here, here's what blessing is. You come by and I hand you $1,000. That's a blessing. Don't come up after church. That's a blessing. Favor is having an anointing upon your life to make money. Because a thousand will come and a thousand will go. But if I have the favor of God, you know, it is the, the word of God that says it's God who gives us the ability to, to create witty inventions. That's favor. And, and a lot of us are li living from blessing to blessing instead of moving into favor. Favor is where I learn to trust in God. And as I trust in God, then God begins to bring favor into my life. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant. For which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? He said, you have got pity for this stupid plant. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and much livestock? We read that scripture and we say, oh, you know, there, there must have been 120,000 people in that city. No. Scholars tell us that when the Scripture refers to 120,000 people that did not know their right hand from their left hand, that God was referring to little children and babies. That it is a, it is a city of, of hundreds of thousands, if not millions. But in that city, God is saying to Jonah, you big baby, grow up. 
He's saying you are more concerned about a plant that's covering your head than you are 120,000 babies that are going to be destroyed if I rain out what my judgment upon them. Isn't that interesting? See, the fourth thing that you need to be careful about is that you need to be careful to listen to the voice of God. When you are in these moments, listen to what God is saying. Know it. Why? Because God sees the big picture. All Jonah can see is that he's gone through three days in a fish. He showed up. He started doing what God said. And then when he did what God said, they repented and God repented. And he said, I knew you were going to do that. I didn't want to be here. Lord, why don't you just kill them all? And God says, there's 120,000 babies in that city. Why would I kill them, Jonah? Get a grip. See, God sees the bigger picture. Our, our tendency is to allow our emotions to cloud our judgment. When we're going through the crisis, when we're in that time where everything looks so bad and so rough, our, our emotions rise up and, and we start being like, Jonah, God, just kill me. Let's just get it over with. God, just wipe them out. And yet what we've got to come to is, wait a minute, let's step back. What is God saying? What's the word of God for this moment? You know, I've been doing this a long time, and what I've found is, is that I find a lot of Christians who are mad at God because God didn't do something they wanted Him to do. They prayed for a certain thing to happen, and it didn't happen. They didn't want a divorce, and yet they still went through a divorce. They didn't want their business to collapse, and yet their business still collapsed. They wanted to have a great ministry, and but, but for whatever reason, that ministry never came to fruition, and, and they're just mad at God. If we were to take a poll today, and we made you stand and say you were mad at God, there'd just be a few of us. But if we did it where nobody knew, There'd be a whole lot of people saying, you know what, Pastor? I'm really mad at God. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. I asked God to send me a mate, and I'm still single. I asked God to heal my child, and they're still sick. I asked God to bring a revival to our church, and it hasn't happened the way that I thought. There are a lot of people today who are still angry, just like Jonah, with God. Here's what I love about God, is that even if I'm angry at him, he still loves me. He still loves me. Most of you know in this room that my parents were missionaries, that I was born in Liberia, Africa. And we lived in the jungles until, and literally did. My father was a pilot. We lived 135 miles back in the jungle. That's how I grew up. Whatever your story is, mine's better. I lived in a mud hut, mud floor, thatch roof. Finally got uptown, we got a tin roof. Rainy season lasted six months. It rained every day, so put that one in your brain and figure out what that sounded like on a tin roof. Seven years of age, my parents decided to come back to the U.S. My father began to pastor. And I remember I was latter part of 12 years old, maybe 13, and I can remember my father coming in sitting at the table. We were having dinner that evening, my mom and I and him, and my sister was already married at that point. And, and, and I remember my, my dad saying something of the order of, I feel God's called me to Kenya. 
And I just really quickly felt that I didn't have a call to Kenya. <laughs> he had a call, I didn't, and, and I thought we, you know, we at least need to discuss it. That was not the way my family ran. <laughs> a few months later, my family arrived in Nairobi, Kenya, and it was an experience that was life-changing in many ways, and, and yet I'm, in a, I'm a freshman in high school, finishing up my freshman year, and I had gone swimming on a Sunday after church at a pool, a couple of missionary kids and myself, and I'd kind of gotten a head cold because of it, and so on Monday morning, my uh, father was leaving with two other missionaries, and I can remember standing on the back steps, kind of porch deal, and my father and the two other missionaries got into a car, and he starts to back out, and before he gets too far, he rolls his window down, and, and here's what he said to me. He said, son, hit those books, because I never really cared much about books at that point in my life. Rolled the window up and took off. That was about 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. Four, about 4 o'clock that afternoon, there's a knock on our door, and there's an Assembly of God missionary standing there named Brother Kirby, and as he knocked on the door, my mom opened the door. And my mother said to him, Brother Kirby, you look like you've come to deliver a death message. Brother Kirby dropped his head and said, I've got to tell you, the men have been in an accident, and your husband is dead. At that moment, the world collapsed. At that moment, everything that had been solid and stable became shifting sand in my life. All of a sudden, this God who had called my father to proclaim the gospel in a foreign land, as far as I was concerned, had messed up. And I don't know that I cognitively made the decision at that moment. But for the next several years, I live my life saying, if that's who God is, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with the church. And I'm going to live and I'm going to raise as much Cain and Abel and anybody else that I can. And that's how I chose to live life. Angry at God. Angry at a creator who would allow me to suffer, my family to suffer when we were trying to do the will of God. Long story short, God got a hold of me. I came back in a relationship with him. I went into ministry. But for right at 25 years of my ministry, I was doing what God had called me to do, but there was always a part of me that I reserved and said, God, I don't trust you with everything. Because when I gave everything, you took what I needed the most that I felt like at that moment in my life. From the time my father died until this incident I'm going to refer to, I had never ever dreamed about my father. Don't know why, it just had never happened. I still carried anger inside of me. It would at moments flare up. It would at moments come out in ways that were not pretty. 
sometimes against my family, sometimes in staff situations, sometimes in church situations. And I knew it was there, and I knew it all had a root way back years ago. But about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I lose track of time. Went to bed one night, normal night. But I had a dream, very short dream, wasn't a long dream, but something happened in that dream. In that dream, I saw my father just like he was the day that he was killed. But I was 45 or so years of age. And I saw my father walking toward me. And he said three words, and that was it, and the dream was over. He just said, I bless you, and he walked by. I woke up instantly, and at that moment, something broke inside of me, and I've never been the same since. Because the anger that I had carried all those years, in a moment, through a dream, God said, I want you to know I still love you. And in that moment, it wiped it out. And I have seen what God has done in my life since then. There are different ones of you in this house, those of you who are watching today, that if you were to tell the truth, you've got some anger issues. You're like Jonah. And if you're not careful, you will allow those to cloud everything in your life. The good news today is this. God loves you even when you're mad at him. God still loved Jonah. In fact, the story ends with Jonah still ticked off at God. But God still loved him enough that he said, this guy who is mad at me, I'm going to put his story in my book. That's the kind of love God has. I want you to bow your heads today. There's some of you who are here right now that you need to be set free in the love of God. You're here today and whatever happened, maybe it was going through a divorce and somebody that you loved and had given your whole heart to walked all over you. Maybe it's you were involved in a church setting. You trusted a leader, and for whatever reason, that leader failed, or at least failed you, and that hurt continues to go on in your life. Maybe you're a child here today of parents who divorced, and one or both of them disappeared out of your life. And right when you needed them the most, it seemed like they were gone. And you've kind of taken that anger and you've placed it against God. I don't know what your issues are this morning, but what I do know is this. I don't care how mad you are, He still loves you. You may have used that anger for years to continue to live the way that I did for a few years, doing your own thing your own way. But here you are today, 
You said, I don't know why I came on this Sunday. I do. God just wants to tell you how much he loves you. And so here's my question for you today. If you're here today and you just say, Pastor, I need to experience the love of God that you're talking about to deal with some of the issues in my life. And that's the place you're at. Would you just hold your hand up anywhere in this building just quickly? Come on, hold them up. Don't, don't be afraid. Just say today, today I need the love of God. I need to receive God's love. You can put them down. I want to pray for you. But I want you to pray for yourself. Maybe in a supernatural instance like mine was, God can come in in a moment and wipe it away. Oh, I still have questions. I'm not going to lie to you. But the hurt, the anger, the frustration is gone. It may be a process that God uses with people in your life. But here's what you've got to know today. That no matter how shook up you are, no matter how stressed out you are, God loves you. Lord, I come today and I, I ask you for my friends today. That even right now,